This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I hope you all are having a wonderful, wonderful week. And I love, that's one of my favorite songs by Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Uh, And basically, he's talking about the world that we would leave um, or could leave to our children. Um, And so that is the focus of our show today. We're going to be talking about our babies and covid So we will have our guest, uh, she'll be calling in in just a bit. But as always, we start with our shout outs. Shout out to my number one fan. Hey, mom, I hope you are having an absolutely fantabulous Thursday morning. Shout out to family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Hobbs, New Mexico, Temecula, California, Opelika, Alabama. Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Hampton, Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Gadsden, Alabama, Center, Alabama, Oxford, North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, College Park, Georgia, and Newport News, Virginia. And as always, if you tell me where you are listening from, I will shout out your city on the next week's show. We, uh, I thank you all so much for listening. We love to invite new family to our little Medical Minutes community here. And so let me know where you are listening from. You can listen live. We are broadcasting live from the WWE Studios, Real 1100 AM here in Atlanta, Georgia. You can also stream this show on www.real1100.com. And you can watch us on Facebook. So we are streaming live on the Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa Facebook page. Also on the Old Fashioned Health Network Facebook page. We have our YouTube channel, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. So you can catch... Uh, different uh, different content than what we have here on the show, but also you can get snippets of the show as well. So we are also a podcast. We are broadcasting on the following platforms, iTunes, Google, Captivate, Spotify, Amazon, Overcast, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. Please follow us on social media. On Facebook, we are Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. On Instagram, at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And on Twitter, at Minutes Doctor. So, how are y'all doing this week? I hope everyone is doing very, very well. So, let's do our COVID update. Hold on one second. Let me get the numbers pulled up here. So this week, we have uh, in the United States, uh, 31.97 million cases. And so compared to last week, that is only up just a little bit. Let me see here and get my numbers. So last week, we were at 31.4. So what we're seeing is the rate of of increase in cases is slowing down, even though there is still an, an increase but that increase is a smaller number. And I am very, very happy about that because of course we were increasing cases by leaps and bounds once before. 
we have uh, a total deaths, 570.4 thousand. We were at 564 last week. And in terms of vaccinations, we were at 212 million total vaccines administered. And this week we're at 235 million. So more of us are getting vaccinated and thank you so much. Um, Let's keep getting vaccinated. So on that note, um, we had recent events. So the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine has been re-released uh, for for public distribution. And um, if you had not been keeping up with the news, uh, that distribution was halted, um, just put on a pause because of an incident of blood clots. And so they had to um, examine that. So of course, the blood clots with vaccines, there were about 16 cases out of um, almost seven million doses. And so that gives you a percentage of way, 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 way less than 1%. And so, um, you know, they have reintroduced this back onto the market, um, unfortunately, without any kind of recommendations. And so I'm going to give you all my professional recommendations about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Number one, yes, it is safe. And so, yes, you can get it. However, um, in my personal and professional, excuse me, let me take that back. Not my personal opinion, my professional opinion. If you are a woman under age 50, if you are taking birth control, if you have a previous history of uh, either pulmonary embolism or DVT, or if you have a family history of um, blood clots or any kind of clotting disorders, then I would not recommend the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for you. But of course, there are two other options, Pfizer and Moderna that are there. And so the the reasons that I give those recommendations is because um, there are, these are the risk factors or some of the risk factors for having um, blood clots. And so of course, you know, you don't want to, uh, to increase your risk if you don't have to. And so, so far we are not seeing um, this incidence with the Pfizer or Moderna product. And so, you know, there are even safer options for you if you fall into any of those categories. So getting into today's topic, when we're talking about kids and COVID, um, you know, this is a multifactorial challenge to address um, because we have to talk about the direct effects of COVID-19 from a clinical standpoint, but then the indirect effects as well. when we talk about the effects of homeschooling and the social isolation, excuse me, um, that our children have had to go through um, during this time. So, you know, let's also talk about some misconceptions um, about children and COVID. But a few facts just to start us off. So children under the age of 17 um, make up about 22% of the United States population. Um, And unfortunately, the true number of COVID cases in this population is unknown um, due to an inadequate availability of uh, testing on a widespread basis uh, and, of course, prioritization of adults um, with uh, infection. So in the beginning of this pandemic, it was reported that children were less severely affected by COVID on the whole. Um, But, you know, this always kind of gave me pause because I think that when we say, um, you know, children are less effective, you know, there's some operative words there that, um, you know, may be missed. Um, And then also, too, you know, when the pandemic first hit back in early March, late February, early March, what do we do? We pulled all the children out of school, right? Which was the right thing to do. Um, But because we pulled them out of school and out of home, they did not have opportunities or as many opportunities uh, for exposure. And so, of course, there were less cases because we were keeping our children safe as we should. Um, But the numbers don't really... um, don't really bear out, um, don't really bear this out. So I'm sorry, they do bear it out, excuse me. So the number of cases in the zero to four-year-old population was about 2% or 509,000. And in the five to 17-year-old group, about 10% or 2.5 million of the 30-some million. So that's not a high rate number, right? Which is good. That's what we want. Um, And of course, the death rate uh, in this group was less than 1% as a whole. So that is 
amazing, even though, of course, you know, there have been children who have um, been affected um, by COVID and, and have unfortunately died. And of course, that is a parent's worst nightmare is losing their child. And so, you know, of course, my heart goes out to any of the parents that are, are dealing with the, the loss of a child for any reason, um, but particularly um, those who have been lost to COVID because that's what we are talking about today. So when we come back from the break, we will have our medical expert on, Dr. Tashana Stokes, to talk to us about kids and COVID. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and we'll be right back after this short break. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Attention pet owners. If you're looking for exceptional veterinary care in a friendly and comfortable environment, you should visit Just for Pets Wellness Center. Just for Pets Wellness Center provides preventative medicine and treatment, and also advanced state-of-the-art veterinary dental care and surgery, all while keeping your pets safe and comfortable. For quality care for your pets and peace of mind for yourself, visit Just the Number Four Pets FL Vet to make an appointment today. Looking out a dirty old window Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. So that was an 80s throwback to Kim Wilde uh, singing about the kids in America. And it's so funny when you, um, as an 80s kid, listening um, to that and how it applies um, to today. I don't know that it does or doesn't, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, we have our guest on the line, Dr. Tashana Stokes. So please allow me to introduce you to her. Dr. Stokes is a mom to two beautiful daughters and currently practices pediatrics in the Atlanta area. She received her undergraduate and medical degrees from Auburn University and the University of South Alabama, respectively. She completed her pediatric residency at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. After completing a chief year, she has worked in urgent care, inpatient, and private practice in the southeastern region for over 10 years. She brings over a decade of knowledge, true concern for her patients, and a thorough method for treating her patients. She stays abreast on current medical trends and believes in a family-based model for patient care. Dr. Stokes has a passion for general newborn care and adolescent medicine. She continues to educate her parents and the community as Doc Mom MD. 
She currently practices at Ivy League Pediatrics, shout out to Ivy League Pediatrics, and Alpharetta Pediatrics in the Atlanta area. She has an active following on her social media profiles and can be found on Linktree at DocMomMD, that's D-O-C-M-O-M-M-D, for support for parents who want to be heard. Ladies and gentlemen of Medical Minutes family, please welcome to the show, Dr. Tashana Stokes. <laughs> Dr. Stokes, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Carissa. Good I'm so morning. happy to be here today. I How are am, you? <laughs> I am well, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. I'm so yes. happy that you could do that. Um, and, and thanks. And I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Una for uh, connecting Absolutely. us. She is amazing. <laughs> Yes, so, her hands are in several pots, but yes. <laughs> yes, she, she is an awesome, awesome person. So let's get right into it. So when we're talking sure. about our children and COVID, what are the risk factors for, you know, because, of course, there are the general risk factors about sure. going out. And, you know, of course, none of our children, if they're under 16, none of them are vaccinated at this point. Right. Um, and so what are some of the risk factors for serious illness for COVID? Because, of course, a lot of the narrative has been about, you know, they will have mild illnesses and so on sure. and so forth. But that hasn't been everybody's experience. Of course, of course. Yeah, so first, thank you for even the intro, and then also for even giving some of those numbers at the beginning of the segment, because that kind of helps us to lead into this. Mm. You know, you are absolutely correct. Children overall have been much less affected by COVID-19 in comparison uh, to adults. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, you always hear those outlier stories where something very significant has happened. Right. And a lot of times we don't know what the underlying medical conditions are for right. that. Right. You know, this is a very new virus, so we're learning so much on a daily basis and things are changing. But some of the bigger things that we have seen is that our children with very complex medical histories, mm -hmm. you know, such as genetic diseases, neurologic diseases, metabolic disorders, and specifically um, heart disease have had a lot of issues with that. And of mm. course, these are those more severe illnesses. You know, mm -hmm. we got to remember even things like lung disease, such as severe or poorly controlled asthma, is still considered a very significant uh, risk factor for COVID as well. Right. You know, asthma affects so many children, um, and a lot of parents don't like to give medicine on a daily basis for maintenance of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, during this season, I tell all my patients, this is not the time to stop taking your your maintenance medication. Right. Now, we think of all these other illnesses that adults have, but we have to remember now with just the way that our culture has changed and just the genetic makeup of children now, um, there are other factors that we weren't necessarily thinking about uh, associated with children. So, for example, diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm specifically mentioning, you know, type 2 diabetes, which is related to weight and genetic factors as well. Um, but that and obesity have been the hugest factors that we've seen that, you know, you'll look at a picture and they'll say, oh, this child was perfectly healthy. But as a provider, you can recognize that they're overweight just by physically looking at the photo, you know. Right, and so right. that's a huge risk factor that we cannot uh, forget. Um, there are some other genetic components, such as like sickle cell disease or kids who are mm -hmm. on like mm -hmm. immunosuppressants mm -hmm. um, that also can be significantly affected because we see how COVID has so much of an effect on you know, multi-organs when it starts to take over right. um, in a disease process. Right. That's the scary part of it. Mm -hmm. That it's just so, it seems so random. And so exactly. And, and just so devastating. So I'll just recap. So if you have a child that has a significant medical issue or a complex medical issue, particularly involving their lung system, their heart or their immune system, then these are children that you should protect a lot more than just your Correct. average healthy kid. But also to look out for mm -hmm. your diabetic children um, and your children that may have some obesity issues mm -hmm. as well. So it seems to mirror what we are seeing in the adult population with those conditions as well. But, you know, because I and that was why, like I said, I'm so glad that you came onto the show because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, the kids won't get sick. You know, right. maybe they'll get a little cold 
And, you know, I just really, really don't want um, anyone to, to live through that devastation of, of, course, of you of know, course. a COVID diagnosis or worse. Um, you know, Absolutely. because and even I, uh, though it affects less than the one percent, it's still like you, you don't want to be in that one percent. You don't want to be in that one percent. Correct. Correct. You know, because it's not zero. And that is the important thing for us to get out, you know, as practitioners to get that message out that it's not zero risk. Um, You know, because, of course, you know, people are still, you know, even through this pandemic, you know, my daughter was invited to stuff and I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah, that's know. been very challenging too, right? It has you been have because I want her to be with her friends, to... <laughs> right? You know, and, <laughs> and you know, thank God she's been understanding about it. But you know, I'm like, yeah. for you know, for my my mom and dad friends, I'm like, what are y'all doing? Like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay to miss out on something just for this one time. You know what I mean? Correct. Just Even though it, it will not be forever. Not it may be, be different, but I don't believe it'll be forever. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. But we, you know, we are so ingrained in the things that we have to do mm-hmm. and have to have mm-hmm. in our lives that to go without it for you know even though this has been a long period of time I'm not even gonna lie this seems like forever no, it's, been, it's um, been a lot <laughs> it's been it's been a drag yes it has been um but you know but that that's just just that you know that we just kind of have to hang in there you know so now mm-hmm. if I'm a parent of of a child that is in one of these risk groups Sure. What signs and symptoms should I be looking for that would tell me that this is more than just a cold, this is more than just a mild flu, and that I should seek medical care, you know, at a higher level, like in an emergency room? Sure. Um, what kinds of things should I be looking for as a parent? Absolutely. So let's just say first, you know, your pediatrician should be your first step for everything, right? Thank you, know, you sometimes for saying we that. Expect, yes, absolutely. You know, we expect parents to know what to do, but at the same time, I, I tell them, you don't have to know everything. This is what I'm here for, <laughs> to exactly. be able to support you. So a lot of times parents don't know when it is significant enough, and mm-hmm. so we try to kind of triage and help with that. You know, right now I'm in the primary care setting, and so there are some things that just logistically we can take care of during this season and other things we would recommend that you go to that next level of care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So specifically, the biggest complaints that we hear about from patients is usually respiratory involvement, right? You know, we know that this pandemic happened during the spring when it first started, and it was very interesting because we just weren't used to a virus being that virulent during that time of year. Right. Um, And then everybody was looking for the flu, what's going to happen during flu season, Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to figure out how we're going to navigate both of those particular viruses. And so one of the biggest things that we tell parents to look at is, okay, yes, with the flu, with other viruses, and even, don't even get me started on allergies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to look for things like your cough, sore throat, significant runny nose, and some body aches and headaches. Now, Mm -hmm. there are some things that are beyond that. We're like, wait a minute, this may be a little bit more significant. This is not just a regular cough. Now we're having difficulty breathing. Now we're having those periods where we have apneic events, where specifically with the young babies, they'll breathe and then hold their breath for several seconds at a time. We know that that's something that should be seen immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're old enough to tell you, if they're saying, I feel pressure in the chest or my chest feels tight or, you know, it's hard for me to take a deep breath. And specifically, if they're not asthmatic, you know, that parents would not be used to hearing those kinds of things. Right. And just because of how fever can be a significant component, we'd look mm-hmm. for other things like confusion or inability to keep down liquids. You know, dehydration is huge and makes any viral process right. worse. Um, if they're difficult to arouse, you know, like, oh, my kid just doesn't sleep this way, but I'm just having a hard time, like, keeping them awake. They're just so fatigued, you know. And then, of course, the extreme would be if we see, you know, signs of cyanosis, you know, pale or gray or blue-colored skin, specifically around the lips or the fingertips. All that can be hard, that can be um, pretty significant. Now, of course, we have to look at that because depending on your skin tone, you may not be you able not to appreciate, right. you know, that pallor or that, you know, that difficulty. So looking at that breathing pattern is important. Um, a lot of parents will tell me, oh, my goodness, you know, um, they're just coughing so hard that they're about to vomit. But then after they go through that fit, everything is good. 
So that doesn't make me think as much difficulty breathing as opposed to just that persistent labored breathing for that all at one time. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. And so, you know, for 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 our folks of color out there, you know, depending upon how much melanin you have, you may not blue. Absolutely. But you may get gray and ashy. So that's a little thing to look for. (laughs) You know, that that grayish (laughs) ashen look. You know what your baby looks like ordinarily. So if their complexion Mm -hmm. looks a little bit different, you might want to seek some help with that. You know, don't look for blue. Absolutely. Um, If you know, and you know, sometimes they won't take the liquid. So then you're trying to push those, and you know how babies are. If they don't want it, they're not going to take it, right? Right. So you really have to look at that urine output as well to make sure, like basically, the body doesn't give what it doesn't have. So if they're making urine, that makes us feel a little bit more comfortable. But if that slows down, that can help us. The body doesn't give what it doesn't have. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. So, you know, and so, you know, key points from there to take away call your pediatrician because, you know, I Absolutely. see kids in the ER and that's what I'll ask them, you know, have you called your pediatrician? And I am right. always astounded with how many people tell me, nope, I didn't call them. Right. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. number one, you all are the kid experts. You know, we in right. the ER, we do what right. we can. But, you know, you all are the expert expert. And and then, too, you know, also these are your patients. You know them. Right. You know what the baseline so is. So you know Absolutely. what their baseline is, right? Yes. And, and so, then in the outpatient setting, you know, I tell parents, don't get upset if we say, okay, I think you need to be seen in the, in the outpatient, like specialty care, like emergency care, right. because there are only so many things we can you do. Can do if you office. think you need an urgent chest x-ray or right. urgent lab results or rapid results on testing or fluids, those are things that we strictly cannot handle in the outpatient setting. And so we will tell you when we feel like we need to go that extra mile. Exactly. And so please listen to your pediatrician when they say, (laughs) you know, because, you know, one of the things that always tickles me, too, is that, you know, we'll see kids, you know, it's kind of off topic, but kind of not that, you know, we'll see people in the emergency room and they've been given one dose of whatever. And it's not, you know, it's not a miracle cure. It's not working. It's not not working. working. (laughs) And so it's like, well, wait a minute. You've seen your pediatrician who is the expert on your child and children in general. And, you know, you they said what to do and you've given them this one dose and they're not better. Right. And I'm always like, but you only gave them the one dose, though. But anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's American culture, though. Right. We expect everything to be quick, be fast quick. results, that's you know, right. and if not, there must be another, another there, way around something this. else wrong. <laughs> exactly. So now how concerned should parents be about these COVID variants? Because Mm. I am reading, you know, particularly, you know, the the case in Michigan um, where, you know, they're having a lot of hospitalizations, like a a spike in hospitalizations in the pediatric Mm -hmm. population due to these COVID variants. And so, you know, again, when people are talking about, oh, you know, the children will be safe. Now we have these new players who have entered into the game that are like, (laughs) "Uh uh-huh, safe, huh? Okay, yeah. So how concerned should we as parents be about these variants? Sure. And what should we do about So I must say COVID will keep you on your toes, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you think you've got it together, here comes something else. Something new. You know, um, so those of us in the medical community are not very alarmed to hear the idea of variation in the virus or right. variants, um, because that's what viruses do. That's They're they very do. smart. They mutate over time. That's why we have to get a flu shot you know, right. every year because of those different strains and variations exactly. from that. Um, and so we're still learning a lot about these new variants. You know, of course, the U.K. variant was one. Um, South Africa, Brazil, even the California variant have been mm-hmm. studied. The first thing is, if you just go and have a regular COVID test, whether it's at your provider's office or even if it's at drive-through testing or something like that, most of the time you'll never even know if you have that particular variant, right? right? You know, you'll know if you have COVID in general. And so I would tell parents that regardless of what you think, if you think this is variation or not, if you have those other signs that we discussed earlier, you need to pay attention to that, right? Right. right. So with that case, with the cases in Michigan, they saw a huge uh, strain, and we're still learning if that other strain is more virulent or how much easier it spreads in comparison 
to the the novel, you know, SARS-CoV-2, right? Sure. Um, and so we see that, you know, even though kids are only representing about 30, 13 to 20 percent of like our total cases, a lot of those variations we have to pay close attention to because we're still learning if the disease process is going to change. Mm-hmm. So if I'm making a decision as to whether my child should be in school or not, the variant alone would not be as much to make me make that determination, if that makes sense. Okay. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah, I wouldn't look, I wouldn't think about that in general because, of course, you know, it varies between the states and they're still trying to track how many of these are variants or not. And so as of right now, if you think about corona for kids specifically, I would be looking more so at, you know, what is happening in your community mm-hmm. because then that kind of trickles down to what happens, whether it be in schools or other social events, you know, from there. And, and, and just going further, you know, variant or, or no, the protections mm-hmm. that we have put in place will work against the variants Correct. too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know, masking, washing your hands and social distancing as you are able, those things right. still work. And, you know, that just really right. kind of concerns me um, because now, you know, people are saying, you know, oh, well, we can go outside without masks and we can do all of right. this, you know, right. that and, and some states are even taking down their mask mandates. Right, mandates. Um, you Absolutely. Know, that's coming in the next couple of weeks, maybe, you know, well, I guess the, the first of May is next week. So, yeah, like next week, yeah. a lot of states are are rolling back their mandates for mask wearing mm-hmm. um, while these variants are still out here, you know, and the and, you know, right. and right. not to be outdone, the original version is still out here doing its thing too (laughs) yes it is absolutely and you mentioned those um, other things to help us the mask the social distance avoiding risky activities you know i know that's all relative for certain people Mm -hmm. um but i think one of the bigger things you know especially when this first came out we questioned well how much should i get tested or how do i know if i should get a test or not i really feel like Testing is important because it helps not just you, right? right? You know, the whole self-quarantining is huge. And just as much of the issue with people wearing a mask was a big deal, so has the whole idea of, yes, you need to quarantine and the other people in your home need to quarantine as well. You know, that's a really hard pill for people to swallow because I don't care if you live in a home with, you know, multi-generations, it is almost impossible to stay in one separate section. Right. You know, and so it's like if there has been any cross contact, I really believe that people should try to quarantine together. Just hunker down and have more family time. You know? <laughs> yeah, we we talked about the effects of that, all of that hunkering down that folks are getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> oh, you definitely. Know, like, <laughs> some other issues are coming some up, right? Some other issues are coming. Some ugliness is being brought to light. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's something. Absolutely. But, you know, again, the best way to avoid all of that is to not get it in the first place. I'm just right, saying. Right. I'm just saying. Right. I know. Mm-hmm. So just to And pick, I think what oh, happens is so many people, they see that, oh, this person got it and this person got it. And I know them personally and they are fine. Mm-hmm. And then you see on the news that you have over 500,000 deaths. But it just, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't impact you the same way. Exactly. And so you can see people's level of comfort is honestly based on their interaction. Right. And that's that's really challenging. I feel like that's one of the reasons we haven't been able to get this virus under control. (laughs) Right. Because until you see it, you know, and and I even, you know, take that and you may feel the same way, Dr. Stokes, that I take it, you know, that I am perhaps a little bit over, you know, I'm a little bit extra with it. Of course. Because of what Mm -hmm. I have seen. Correct. You know, that I'm like, you know. You know, for me, my thing is, you know, if you get this, you can die. That That's just. Of course. It. Of course. Even if you're healthy. Right? Even if you're healthy. <laughs> because I, because yes. I've seen it, you know. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, it, it's really, you know, I, I feel kind of hypervigilant about it. And so then right. then on the flip side of that, when I see people who perhaps have not been affected at all, and it's just something that is right. just a faraway thing that's happening on the news, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're being really lax about it, you know, I'm kind of doing a doing a side eye and a head tilt, like... Of course. <laughs> but you're right. You know, yeah. it, it is, you know, the perception, perception is reality. And so if this is right. not something that you have been touched by personally or, you know, in some direct way... Right. Then, you know, you do have a different experience um, with the virus, unfortunately. And so, you know, but we, right. we but we keep telling people, you know, the longer we don't do these things, the longer, the longer we to we're going to have mm-hmm. to deal with this. 
you know, because I look at other countries who have been able to, you know, get it together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll cite China as an example. Now, of course, China was very, very extreme with their lockdown. Like they were, you know, you came outside. (laughs) And they didn't care about your opinion. And they did not care about your human (laughs) rights or any of that kind of stuff. (laughs) So we have to, you know, we have to say that, right, that they were doing the most. However, they have opened their country back up and their infection rates, you know, so there's a little, you know, now granted, I don't want to, you know, have to go to jail. Uh, Yeah, we don't want that extreme. Absolutely. We don't want that extreme. (laughs) But you got to say, you know, the the proof is in the pudding, you know, that, you know, what they did as, as, as severe as it was, it worked. Now, we don't have to go to that extreme. But, you know, we 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 have just been, you know, so much about our own personal rights and, and yeah. so much so much and so forth. And that's why we are still dealing with this. And, right. and I'm I'm really concerned with, you know, people only getting, you know, there are reports about people only getting one shot. And, right. uh, you know, right. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Slow down. So now I know vaccine hesitancy is a whole nother topic. That's we can a get to whole that. nother thing. But speaking <laughs> of vaccines, so mm-hmm. vaccines in children from age 12 to right. 16. So, you know, any any insight from the pediatric world oh. about when that will be available? Because I'm, I'm right. Like, I have my daughter. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have her in line. Like we got to sleep outside the doctor's office. The like, night are before. you ready? Like, are you ready? ready? You know, I don't honestly, I don't think just listening to my patient population, I don't think the line would be very long, unfortunately, oh. um, <laughs> for kids. <No. laughs> and yeah, I, unfortunately. And I think, again, because people are getting back to their, you know, regular uh, they're the regular lives, and mm-hmm. it's like, again, the, the teenagers, oh, they, they're the hardest effect group, they're primarily because they just will not sit still. Right. Um, but, you know, right. as of now, you know, the Pfizer uh, vaccine has actually been authorized for ages 16 and mm-hmm. up. Right. And Moderna and Johnson & Johnson is for 18 and up for now. Um, you know, I totally love what you said about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, though, so thank you for putting that info out oh, as sure. well. Uh, yeah, that's huge for people to be aware of. Um, but as of now, they are already starting to run some tests in that younger right. age group, that 12 to 15 um, year bracket. Right. And so some of the newer info tells us that it may be out at the end of 2021. Um, but oh. of course, time shall tell, right? Yeah. You know, time will tell. It really depends on what happens in those studies and how many people can they really get in the cohort to be able to determine if it is safe or not. Sure. And there are plenty of people who are like, I am not putting my kids out there just for the, the trial, you know, and that's what makes it challenging because you just sure. can't get all those numbers sure. as easily as possible. Yeah, because I remember um, when I reviewed the yeah. Pfizer data, the data looked good, but they just didn't have enough children to say, right. you know, that we can extrapolate right. this to the entire population. But in the few yes. kids that they studied, I think it was like 250, 300 kids, you know, it, it looked good. You know, it looked good. So I'm, right. I was, I'm, I'm right. hoping for like sometime in the summer, I'm like, please, come on, y'all, we can do it. But let's of course. pivot. It, yeah, go ahead, please. But let's pivot a little bit. So Sure, sure. So our children are still um, emerging from their little cocoons, their little homeschooling yeah, cocoons, some of our kids are. It's parents, too. Parents. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, one of the things that, you know, is is a hallmark in, in pediatric recommendations, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, is when we're talking about right. the screen time. You know, I because knew you were going to say screen time. Yeah. That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but now here we had them in home every day <laughs> in front of a screen for eight hours, and yeah. we said that it was okay. And right. so, you know, what, how harmful is that? Now, when we talk mm. about screen time, you know, because, of course, we were talking about our children being so obsessed with video games and TikTok and all sure. of that stuff. Um, and but sure. this was, you know, but this was for a real purpose, you know, for continuing their education, of course. But it's still screen time. It's still the same. Of course. So let's talk for a, a minute about the harmful effects of screen time and ways that we can kind of mitigate the eye strain and sure. all of that that goes with that. Sure, sure. So can I just say, I heard you mention the 80s. And I just I thought about myself because I was like, screen time at that time only meant TV. 
right? right. You know, because exactly. computers were just coming out and everybody exactly. didn't have one. Didn't have one. And, right. you know, and, and, and at our day, TV went off at a certain time and yes, the national anthem played, right? And if you wanted to play <laughs> video games, you had to travel yes. to an arcade and, you absolutely. Know, and spend some time. And absolutely. once your quarters were done, you were you were done for the day. So You're done. You and absolutely. You had to go up, do some other things. <laughs> Yes, exactly. but now we're talking about tablets, smartphones, gaming consoles, computers, TVs, everything. everything. And I kind of feel a little hyper, you know, a little bit of hypocritical as far as a pediatrician goes because, you know, we say if you're under five years of age, you only need, you know, one hour of TV. And if you're less mm-hmm. than two, less than that, you know. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, what are we going to do? You know, and now despite what our recommendation has been over time and what we strained for, you know, kids are in front of the computers anywhere from four to 13 hours a day. It's, wow. it's sickening, you know, wow. but it's like, what do you do? Right. You right. know, you're in a situation where you don't really have a choice. So when we're talking about first physical issues that are happening, because the non-physical issues are a whole other discussion as well, mm-hmm. um, we know that the excessive screen time can actually increase um, a lot of vision issues, you know, mm-hmm. and myopia in particular, which is nearsightedness, which basically means you can see things up close better, but further away gets a little bit more blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, it increases um, increases the risk of that significantly. And in addition to that, a lot of eye fatigue can come into play where you're just getting more tired. It could lead to headaches um, and lots of squinting, which can cause other issues uh, down the road. And then um, dry eyes as well. You know, like, of course, you're staring at that screen. You're attentive. You're attentive. You're paying attention. Absolutely. You're not increasing that hydration there, too. Mm -hmm. You know, for the eyes, for the eyes, that is. So when you're thinking about that screen time and what ways you can kind of help to mitigate that, I was looking into um, what the um, optometrists were saying, and they recommend like a 20-20-20 rule. And so that rule actually talks about looking away from a screen every 20 minutes, focusing on an object about 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds. So that sounds a little bit confusing. So the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, when you're in between those classes, actually get up away from the screen to be able to give your eyes a rest. Mm -hmm. But I see even with my own children, if they're at home doing their schoolwork, and they get a break, they're on another site, right? They're right. looking at something they're else. At they're something playing else. some other game. Right. Absolutely. I'm like, no, get out. Let's get some sunlight going so that you can get those eyes, give those eyes a little bit of, you know, of a break. Mm-hmm. And if we're telling parents to do this as far as, you know, ways to mitigate this, you need to think about other things you can do. So minimizing that screen time when you're not doing the required activity, right. you know, actually right. trying to make sure okay. that kids are getting enough rest, not right. looking at the screen so much right before bedtime and actually moving our bodies, you know, right. getting out so that we can actually do something else to replace that time. Excellent. Excellent. And so my last question before we end our segment, which has been amazing, and, and thank you again. Um, you know, when we're talking about the homeschooling, you know, just kind of going into mm-hmm. the social isolation um pieces that have have come you know that have come out of this and and something that I have always found um, that I found curious recently is why some kids are thriving in the homeschool environment Mm -hmm. and others are 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 flailing what 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 is that and and how do we how do we recognize any warning signs or danger signs that have to deal with that or, you know, and, and what can we, we do about it? Because, like I said, this is benefiting some children. And, you know, I, right, I wonder right. why. I, I'm curious about that. Sure. So you think about children are not baby or mini adults, right. but they do have a lot of our same temperament, mm-hmm. right? So you have people who are just naturally more introverted. Mm-hmm. who actually like that alone time, who actually would prefer to just have everything brought to them where they don't have to go out and socialize to do that. And so if those are the type of people that are who love to be at home and have that individual time, then clearly they can thrive in the setting because it's like, oh, you don't want me to go home? I'm fine. I'm a homebody anyway. (laughs) You know, or if you have some of those children who have things like social phobias or OCD, sometimes being at home actually helps to alleviate some of those symptoms, at least for, you know, for a short while. Mm -hmm. On the contrary, you have children who are leading to, oh, it's just, it's been really bad. And and when you think about things like hopelessness and depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. increasing OCD, that has been very, very challenging. 
And for kids who've never suffered from that, mm-hmm. it's sometimes you can't pick it up. It's, it's not as easy to realize what is going on right. at the time, whether they just don't know what that feeling is or they may have fear or shame about it. And so a lot of times trying to really be in tune with your children to be able to pick up those things are really, really important. Sure. Now, when you're thinking about, like, stress and anxiety and ways that that manifests, you know, that can also be different in different age groups, right? So if you have even a younger child, a toddler, even some infants, you'll see things like irritability and fussy. Their routines are off. Mm-hmm. They're having more separation anxiety, more um, clingy. I, will, I always laugh because this year has been very interesting. Little babies cry when they come to see me in the office, but they're crying a lot earlier, you know, mm. so I have on the mask. They haven't been out. Right. Who is this new person who's coming into my space? So With where I used to have, they face. wouldn't cry in for nine months. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Right. Now they're crying at four months, being super afraid of me. And for the children and the adolescents who, of course, have, are affected where it can be a little bit more dangerous, their mood is essential. Now, teenagers are moody, right? That's right. what we, that's what we that's know. You yep. know, adolescents, that's what they're supposed to do. But... If they're losing interest in the things that they would like to do or they're having more difficult time with sleep schedule or their eating patterns, either too much or too little, you know, they're usually, you know, an A and B student and now their grades are dropping to C's and D's, Mm -hmm. you know, not caring about themselves or things that used to be important to them. Mm -hmm. Those types of reckless behaviors, we have to be on high alert for that. Now, if you're having your well checks, your pediatrician should be screening for depression in, mm-hmm. a, in those adolescents, particularly. So, still you know, important and, to keep up you know, with those visits. Yeah, it is. It is so important, and I know. And most offices are trying their best to kind of keep the sick and the well separate, so you don't have to stress about coming to the office and sure. getting exposed to coronavirus. You know, sure. um, but with teenagers, you know, everything is about right now and how I feel at this moment, mm-hmm. and so trying to help alleviate some of that stress to say, hey, I know this is different. I know you may have missed prom. I know you may have missed graduation. You know, trying to let them know there's something beyond this point is huge because suicide risk is still very, very high, you know, and making sure that if you see your kid going in that situation, talking with them and then parents being open to therapy if they don't feel like, you know, they are the right ones to talk to or they don't understand. You know, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not a real thing. thing. Right. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Stokes, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. And I'm hoping that this is reaching parents and grandparents and whoever is caring for these young people. Um, And I hope that they have gained a little bit more about, you know, how serious COVID still is um, in the pediatric population. And thank you so much again. You are a family of the show now. And so, you know, I I will probably be calling you again to come back and talk about something else. Um, And, you know, we'll definitely be uh, supporting your Doc Mom MD. It's a podcast. Is that right? So no, so I actually um, post on social media, social media platforms, okay. and I also have a YouTube channel YouTube. under okay. uh, t- yes, um, t- uh, Dr. Tashana Stokes. Um, I just want to help families feel heard, knowledgeable, and empowered in this journey of parenthood. Indeed, we all need it from time to time, some more than others. Indeed, <laughs> Dr. Absolutely. Thank you for everybody. having me. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. You have a great day. Medical Minutes family, thank you. Medical Minutes family, we will be right back after a short break. Be sure to listen to The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell, a podcast that explores emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In the Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On the Old Fashioned Health Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in on the Real 1100. And we 
are back. That was a wonderful, wonderful segment with Dr. Tashana Stokes. And I will put the links to um, her YouTube channel because I think that she has excellent, excellent um, advice for parents at all stages of their parenthood journey. And so, you know, before we finish, of course, we always want to do our vitamin C. And so I wanted to share with you all um, about fear in healthcare. Right. So, you know, this is personal. I'm going to tell you all a personal story because I like to share my life, parts of it anyway, um, so that you all know that even though I'm a doctor, sometimes I get to be a patient. And so I go through the same things that you all go through. Right. Even though, you know, I know some some ins and outs and some background stuff. But anyway, so about six months ago, I had my mammogram, my screening mammogram, and they saw a spot that looked, quote unquote, suspicious. Now, when they say suspicious, suspicious for cancer, right? But it wasn't suspicious enough that they wanted to proceed with biopsy and so on and so forth. So they said, okay, come back in six months. We will take another, we'll do another mammogram and we'll see what it looks like and make some recommendations at that point in time. Okay, fine. I go on about my way. Six months has, has gone by. I had the repeat mammogram yesterday. Thankfully... It was it was negative. Whatever they saw resolved itself. And so, you know, we don't need to go any further. And I can go back to having my regular screening exams every year. Um, and I shared this to say that, you know, while I was there on the table, because I had to have a mammogram and then had to have an ultrasound immediately following that um, so that they could get a better look. And, you know, then they pull you into the little side room. And so I have pulled people into the side room. So I know what happens in the side room. Usually we're not giving anybody good news. Right. Um, and so I was very, very fearful because, of course, this woman could have the radiologist could have come in and told me, we think you have cancer and this is what we need to do. Right. So, you know, I understand. So I'm sharing this because I understand that it is. A very fearful and I've had people to tell me that they don't come to the doctor because they don't want to be told bad news I get it that is incredibly scary that someone is going to tell you some news that is going to change your life or maybe even result in the end of your life right but we have to face the fear and that is that is my vitamin C for the day right we have to face the fear you cannot confront something you cannot heal from something if you don't face it so if you don't go to the doctor you will never know what what may be going on with you but if you don't know what's going on with you you can't fix it and you know it may be something that is a small fix you know maybe you know just you just need to take some medicine or something right or maybe there is something a little bit more involved to do but you know as I have said before life is always worth living and so we have to take every opportunity that we that we have available to us to make sure that we can extend our lives in in a good way and have a healthy and happy life and so I will close with face the fear and do it anyway in medicine with your health on your job in your life, in relationships, fear is going to happen anyway. Face it and get through it and you'll be better for it on the other side. Thank you once again for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I, this is my favorite hour of the week and I sincerely mean that this is so much fun um, for me and I thank you all for coming on this journey with me as we are closing in on our one year on the air, which is kind of crazy to think about that. But anyway, until we meet again and hopefully that will be next week, be good to yourselves, be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you.